Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. We've been spending some time here in Revelation chapters 2 and 3 looking at the seven letters to the seven churches. Today, it's our final look before moving into the rest of Revelation. Join us for Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. So what happens when the church is almost indistinguishable between it and the culture it is right in the middle of? That is what we're looking at today on Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. It's a stern warning, not only to the church at Laodicea, but I dare say us today as well. When we can look almost indistinguishable from the rest of the culture that surrounds us, we're in danger. With more, here's Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose with today's edition of Abounding Grace. So you see disgusting pictures here that the Bible represents of a person who is just lukewarm. Here is someone that escaped probably a lot of the worst sins of the world by attaching himself to the church. Oh, he recited the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed, pretending he was a Christian. And he most likely even thought of himself as being a Christian. And then he is seduced back into the world and is all entangled by the world's temptations, is overcome by those temptations and no longer calls himself a Christian. And so his last state is worse than his first condition. He is a hypocrite. And it says, it would have been better for that person to have never known righteousness at all than to have known that way and then have, return, have turned away from it. It is like a dog returning to its vomit and like a pig washed nice and clean, returning to wallow in the muck and the mire of this evil world. So you see the Lord's opinion of lukewarm Christians? They are the worst things imaginable. They are worse than homosexuals, worse than even Voltaire. So the question is, what are you? Are you warm, fervently advancing God's kingdom? I pray that you are. Are you cold? I pray that you are not. But are you lukewarm? Are you just basically indifferent, simply going through the motions? If that is you, my dear friend, you make Christ sick. Now he also talks about conceitedness. He says in verse 15, I know your deeds, that you were neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. In other words, I'd rather you be defiant Voltaire than any indifferent pew-sitter. 
So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spew you out of my mouth because you say, and here he says, this is what makes me sick about you. You say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have needed nothing. Well, that is all a farce. It is all a mask. You may believe that about yourself. You may have deceived yourself into thinking you are self-reliant and that in yourself you have everything you need. But in reality, he says, you do not know that you are the exact opposite. Now that conceitedness and that self-reliance was habitual for these people. And we learn that from the present tense of I am. Because you say, I am, I am habitually, I am continually rich and have become wealthy. And I have one of the most important banking systems in all of Asia Minor. We have a clothing manufacturing company that makes clothing, clothing worthy of wealthy people all around the world. I mean, look who we are. We have... Everything we need to get along. We don't need to worry about anything. And if something happens to us, we have no need to ask for anyone's help. Not even God. We can fully take care of ourselves. Jesus said, that is all deception. It's all fake. Because you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Now he's talking about his bride here. He's talking about his church in Laodicea. Jesus never renounced this church. He, he never lets it go, as you'll see. But boy, does he know the truth about them. Instead of being what she thought she was, though she was the opposite. She was wretched. That is, she was wretched par excellence. She was miserable. She was anything but self-sufficient. She had no cause to think she was self-reliant. She was poor, utterly poverty-stricken spiritually even though they lived in fine homes and had big bank accounts. She was blind. She saw nothing clearly. The way she saw herself was all a deception, and she was naked. Everything she believed in, everything she hoped for in her strength was absolutely nothing. It was all a farce. Then Christ exhorts her, and what an exhortation it was. He says in verse 18, I advise you, now this is again Jesus talking. This is not just some preacher talking because you can of course take or leave whatever advice he may give. But this is Jesus talking and you better take Jesus' advice. He says, I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire that you may become rich and white garments. Remember, this is a banking center that does business in gold. And white garments. Instead of the wool from the black sheep raised in the area. White garments so that you can clothe yourself and that your nakedness will not be revealed. Your evil. And I salve. 
and I believe that is reference to this medical school, and eye salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. It's funny how that all fits together with the way that city was. God certainly knows them. He sees how they have been influenced by their culture. Oh, your culture has banks. It has clothing manufacturers, a medical college that has invented some of the greatest medicines in the world. But none of it solves the deepest problems of your heart. You think you are independently wealthy. You're poverty-stricken. And I come to you independent and sovereign with all the wealth of creation. And I say to you, if you turn from your self-reliance and you trust in me and the sufficiency of the life that I can give you, you will be then truly rich. Your shame will be covered and you will be able to see. But you must turn to me for these things because none of it is available Anywhere on earth. Then he says these great words. Those whom I love. Those whom I love. I reprove and discipline. Therefore be zealous and repent. That's his word here of exhortation. Believe in me. Look to me for those things you look for in wealth and prestige, which only brings you poverty and nakedness and blindness. Look to only me for those things. I will give you the fullest, richest form of life. And repent of your sins zealously, not hesitantly, not in a hit or miss fashion. But zealously repent of your sins and look for anything you need for your life from me. Take inventory of your life and look for anything that needs to be repented of and remove it from your life. Don't be satisfied leaving anything there. Don't just deal with the big things and leave the little things. Be zealous in your repenting. Be zealous in changing your mind. Be zealous in changing your behavior. Believe in me and repent and long to be warm and hot and neither cold or lukewarm. Now what is the reason for the motive he gives for repentance and coming to him for these things? This is amazing. Verse 19. It is because Jesus Love the church of Laodicea. Now, I have heard sermons on the church of Laodicea recently because of my studies. As bad as it was, as if it were the church of the Antichrist. That Christ hated it. That he destroyed it and had no heart in it. No, no, no. Jesus loved the church of Laodicea with all of her nakedness with all of her poverty, with all of her blindness. And he says, because I love you, I am going to reprove you and discipline you and purge out of your life all of those things that are keeping you from being my faithful servants in this world. And apparently, he did just that because she became his faithful servant 
for the next 350 years. So as bad and as terrible as Laodicea was, Jesus loved her. And as a father disciplines his children, he disciplined them. Not to destroy them, but to bring them to a zealous repentance. Then he makes this promise to him. Verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and him with me. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now last week I I started to look at verse 20. And since over the years I have read books, many books, and listened to sermons on evangelism to lost people based on Revelation 3.20, this seems to be a great text for an evangelistic sermon. It is as if Jesus says to all those lost sinners out there, I stand at the door of your heart, I want in, and if anyone, no matter who you are, hears my voice and opens that door, I will come in. But if you don't open the door, I'll be stuck out here in the cold. In other words, this is a pathetic picture of Jesus that others have portrayed by using this verse to address lost people, trying to get them to repent and believe in Jesus. Open the door for Jesus if you're an unbeliever. He's standing outside the door begging to get in. He's knocking, pleading, please let me in. But really, to whom is verse 20 addressed? It is addressed to the church of Laodicea. This is not addressed to unbelievers out there somewhere in the world. This is addressed to those whom he loved. To those he reproves and disciplines and who he calls to be zealous in repentance. Who are members in the church of Laodicea. So Revelation 3.20 must never be used to encourage unbelievers To come into the church. When you use it with unbelievers, beloved, you have to distort the text theologically and doctrinally. Because it is addressed to church members. Let me show you how you have to distort this text. Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. Well, what is the first big problem with this? The person who lives in the house, if he is an unbeliever, is dead. He is dead in his trespasses and sin. And a dead man, first of all, can't hear the knock. And he, of course, can't open the door. He is dead. So poor Jesus is going to freeze to death out in the snow. Another problem. In a previous letter, Jesus said... I hold the key to the doors of life, and I open, and no man shuts, and I shut, and no man opens. Now think about this. 
Why would Jesus knock on the door of an unsaved person if he has the key to open the door and walk in anytime he wants to? Also, you see, if it is applied to unbelievers, then the most important thing is what the unbeliever does. That Jesus is helpless to come in and do anything for the unbeliever until the unbeliever makes the first step and he opens the door. But again, as I've asked you many times before, how many steps can a dead man take? Of course, not one. So you see, when you really look at this carefully, it cannot, it cannot apply to unbelievers Because it presents to unbelievers this pathetically weak view of Christ. This is addressed to the members of the church. It is a figure of speech to those people who are conceited, who are lukewarm, and he is calling them to repentance. He says, behold, astonishingly enough, shock of shocks, I'm still here. I haven't left. You are in the process of leaving me, but I have not left you. I'm still here in my church, and I have blessings that I want to bestow upon you. Shockingly, behold, I am the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the cause and the origin and the source of creation who has all of the power of the universe at my disposal. Behold, I stand at the door of this church, not at the door of the heart of the unbeliever. I stand at the door of the church and I knock. If anyone in the church of Laodicea hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Isn't that a beautiful picture? It's an astonishing vision. Why didn't Jesus, since this church was lukewarm and it disgusted him, just spew them out of his mouth and forget it? No, he came to them as a tender friend who would not put off, be put off. And he says, I stand at the door of your church and I knock. If anyone in the church will open the door and repent, will put their faith in me and my self-sufficiency, I will come in and have table friendship with them, anyone in the church. Apparently, they did open the door, as it were, and they repented of their sins, and he came in to them and sat down and had dinner with them, And they with him. Now. Every time. We have the Lord's Supper. Every time. It would be absolutely appropriate. To read Revelation 3.20. Because every time. Every Sunday. We have the Lord's Supper. Jesus stands at the door of our church. And he says. Anyone that repents of his sins in this church and trusts me for the full sufficiency of my gifts, I will, in the Lord's Supper, come into that person and have table fellowship 
with Him. So remember that image. Every time you take the Lord's Supper, every time we ever use the means of grace, any time we pray, any time we sing hymns of praise, any time in a worship service, in everything we do here, Jesus stands at our door and says, I want to have fellowship with you right here and now. Open the door by genuine repentance, by faith in me, and I will come in and have real fellowship with you while this worship service is going on. Praise the Lord, Laodicea must have repented. And he says, he who overcomes now, and now please remember, those who overcome are the heroes in every one of these letters. An overcomer, you see, is someone who deals with his problems. He is not someone that just forgets it and stands around just thinking about heaven. He deals with his problems. He deals with his weaknesses. Whatever Jesus points out in his life, he deals with it and he repents of it and he gets back on track. This is the overcomer. He who overcomes, who zealously repents, who understands my goals, who receives my white garments and my eye salve and submits to my reproof and discipline and opens the door and has fellowship with me as he worships me, I will grant him to sit down with me. Beloved, he says, you can sit down with me at my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne right here, right now in this worship service. He said, I will do to him like my father did to me. Jesus says, I dealt with the issues. I dealt with everything I was sent to earth to deal with. The sin, the death, the hell. And I overcame it. I got the victory over it. I smashed it into the ground. And God let me sit and reign with Him at His own right hand. And now, Jesus says to all of those at the church of Laodicea, and all of those, you who profess faith in me, I will sit you down with me on my throne and we will share the reign of this world. I'll give you government over your own life and over your family and over your business and over your church and over your nation and your community. I will share my government with you. You will sit down with me on my throne just as my father set me down with him on his throne. Verse 22. You've got to have ears to understand all of this. He says, I offer you table fellowship with me, he says, through repentance. I promise those who will overcome their lukewarmness that they will reign with me, that they will exercise dominion over their lives, over their children's lives, their church, their community. But it is all through repentance and faith in Christ's sufficiency. Out of all the seven churches, including Sardis, if you can remember, 
Laodicea has some of the most severe criticisms. And yet this blind, naked, miserable, wretched congregation served God faithfully for 350 years because Jesus would not let them go. Pray. He never lets us go because we have become lukewarm. Amen. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for this seventh letter and for the hope in it and the encouragement of it. Oh, help us to get the victory over any lukewarmness that may be in us because we do want to sit with you on your throne and reign with you. For Christ's sake, amen. Well, this has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. As we have closed out our time together today, I would remind you that our desire is to know how this program encourages you in Christ. Now, there are a couple of three ways that you can contact us to provide us with this information. And again, it would really encourage us a great deal if you'd take a moment and let us know how the program is encouraging you in your walk and relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's how to contact us. Phone number is 408 408- Eight six six five six zero seven. That's four zero eight eight six six five six zero seven. Our website, where you can drop us an email and even learn a bit more about us, is reformedheritage.org. And then, of course, you can write to us at PMB. That stands for Post Mailbox Number four zero two fourteen eighty four Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California. The zip code is nine five zero three two. Now, there is another way you can contact us, and this would be the best of all, especially if you're not involved in a church at this time. Plan on visiting. Let us uh, fellowship face-to-face, as it were. We meet at Lone Hill Church, 2 in the afternoon on Sundays at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org, or by calling 408-866-5607. By the way, copies of the broadcast are just $5. Mention today's date when you contact us, and we'll get a CD out to you right away. Thank you for joining us today. Until next time, God bless. Mm-hmm.